I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, it was a little different. Anyone a little quieter Thanksgiving this year, like us? Yeah, it's okay, talking over a screen to folks. Man, it's a different year, but I hope you enjoyed it. We are going to turn our attention now as we begin as the fellowship to observe Advent. And the first Sunday of Advent is about hope. I've been praying for your hope. And we are going to celebrate Advent this year by going through a series that we're calling The Story. This series will be more about Scripture than it will be about sermon, allowing the narrative of Luke 1 and 2 to tell itself. Now, we love the idea of groups, family, or the church family gathering together to read through the story of Jesus now He came to us. That's the beauty of this series. But we want to encourage you, as you may have family traditions at home, maybe there's things that you've done for years, it's always, always room to start new ones. And one of the things we love is how families get to read together at this time of year. We think it's sweet. There are many beautiful Advent resources that we could recommend, but I want to highlight one today. If you are looking to do that as a family, you want to start reading together through this next month of celebration and season, then we recommend The Advent Conspiracy. The Advent Conspiracy is a delightful book. It's one that is intended to capture the heart of Christmas and recapture the heart of Christmas for the disciple of Jesus. And so if that's something you're into, we have those available. We'd love to make those available to you. Just email us. And if a copy interests you, we we can get it to you. Just let us know. I'd like to pray one more time before we start, if it's okay. And we talk about the hope that we can truly have in him. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that it was him who came. We thank you that your spirit in him showed us your power on display. And it indwells us even now. We pray your spirit would settle in here and direct our hearts and minds towards you as we... Seek to give you glory by lifting up the name of your son, Jesus. It is in his name we ask. Amen. So, Advent is a time of year that tells the greatest story ever told. It's the season when we commemorate how God came to us when we needed him most. It's how he displayed his love for us by being present with us, by fixing our problem, and by keeping his promises. It was foretold in Isaiah 7 Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a son. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. There was another that was foretold to come before him. In Isaiah 40, there, it is said there would be a forerunner, a voice calling in the wilderness to t- tell us that the Messiah was coming. In Isaiah 40, it says, Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and t- proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert the highway of our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. A prophecy about John the Baptist who we're going to read about today, who was intended to paint and point the way to Jesus, literally pointed as you said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, claiming him as Messiah. Today we begin this season 
as we celebrate the fact that these prophecies were fulfilled in the advent of Jesus Christ and the coming of John the Baptist. Advent literally means coming. The setting for the start of the New Testament is dark, specifically spiritually dark. The Israelites have had 400 years past since they've had a last widespread revelation from God given to them by their prophets. Most of us are never going to live to see one century. They have now endured no spark of hope, no revival, no miraculous intervention of God for more than four centuries. And this is hard because a people like Israel were promised such. They had a rich history of God's miraculous intervention, but it's been 400 years since they've last experienced anything like that. And today we celebrate how that tide began to turn and hope began to spring up again with the entrance of Jesus and the entrance of his forerunner, John the Baptist. You see, in their coming, the people of that day began to hope. And their hope in that day is what inspires our hope today. Here's what it says in Luke 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of incense came, all assembled worshipers were outside praying. Now, this priest, Zechariah, enters the temple to burn incense. This is routine. While the people were praying outside. Verses 8 and 10 explain the moment. They explain the context of the setting, the moment that we're in, what is happening. But the verses before that explain the context of the man, his situation, all of his history, and all of his personal heartache. One of the greatest things a young Jewish family could have was a son to pass down their family name, to pass down their family business, to pass along a legacy. But as you read, Elizabeth is barren. You see, giving birth was known as the crowning jewel of all women in Judaism, that God showed blessing on the woman by giving her the ability to bear a child. And if she could not bear a child, then she immediately went into a life of service as a midwife, helping other women bring children into the world. Apart from childbirth, the most honorable thing a young couple like this could do was serve. And this priestly home did for years, for many, many tens of years. And maybe even they did with a little bit lost hope. You see, as a parallel to the people of Israel himself, the faithful priest Zechariah, alongside his barren and elderly wife Elizabeth, are about to have a prayer answered by God that they themselves have likely stopped praying. How many of you have ever prayed something in your youth and after not seeing any result, you just stopped praying that prayer? How many of you are grateful that you didn't get your prayer answered? While in their youth, they likely begged God for a son, that God would do something miraculous and open the barren womb and give them a child. But in his old age, they let go of that prayer. How many of you would likely be as shocked if you went home today, called great-grandma, and she said, hey, I'm pregnant, and I'm going to deliver it naturally in nine months? 
Yeah. They remained faithful to the Lord in service, just relinquishing hope of ever having a naturally born child of their own. In kind, the people are so removed from a time when God last spoke, last moved, last intervened miraculously, they've lost any hope that he ever will. So they go through the empty religious motions, the routine, the tradition, because that's what they've always done with little faith in God at all. Can I ask you a question? We've endured a really tough year, but I want to go beyond just the year. How many of you have lost a little hope? How many of you have lost a little hope because you've been suffering for years now? You've been suffering some hurt from stuff that happened a long time ago. Maybe this morning you're a little bit like Israel. Maybe you're a little bit like Zechariah, going through the religious routine, going through the motions, doing what you've always done traditionally without little hope that God will ever answer, that God will ever intervene, that you're just not going to see the miraculous move of God. Well, I want to encourage you today, if that is you, there is hope. Because there was hope in their day, and there will be hope tomorrow, and there is hope for you and I right now because we serve a God who has never changed. Amen? Let's read on. Luke 1, 11, it says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Can I say it out loud? Like, I don't fault Zechariah for that question. You know? I don't, I can see where he's coming from. How many of you see the circumstances around him don't really speak to what he's just been told? So he has a question. I don't fault Zechariah for his question, but Scripture does. You see, too often we can get caught in our routine, our religious Right. We can get caught in traditions and going through the motions with lack of faith or lack of hope that God will actually move or intervene. And what happens is when we get into that rut and routine, we get so focused on looking for the logical that we miss the Lord. Hello? God can begin to move and we miss it because all of a sudden we're not looking because we don't anticipate God actually speaking or moving. We just get focused on the logical, that which we can explain. And we miss him in the moment. Now, I personally, in my flesh, would want some assurances myself if this is me. I want to know that this illogical miracle that's just been spoken to me was actual, just like Zechariah. I'd want something to show me the truth. I'd like to know that it would truly happen. But see, that's not the definition of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance of that which we do not see. See, my desires, Zachariah's desires, maybe your desires today, for logic, discount the fact that God is still the God of the impossible. And with him, nothing is impossible. When 
when Moses was asked to lead the people of God in their history, which they all knew, to lead the nation of Israel out of bondage, to be their mouthpiece, not only did he speak up about all the ways that he was not qualified, he simply looks at God and says, but I stutter. And God turns in Exodus 4 and says, but who, who formed man's mouth? God turns to Moses and said, hey, who gave you a mouth? And even if it stutters, can't I use it? We must remember, church, that he is sovereign and is always had a plan in all of this. Even to use that which seems impossible. To bring people to himself and to bring himself true glory. So reading on, let's, let's see what God does with Zechariah's mouth for questioning him. And the hope that is built because of what God does for him and the people. Verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent, not able to speak until the day that it happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true in their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace, my inability to not have children from the people. Again, great grandma. You see, the beauty is there's a silence for the people of God that have not heard from him, from one of their prophets for 400 years. There's been no singular message for the nation of Israel for over 400 years. And that silence is broken by the silence of a faithful priest. While Zechariah couldn't speak to tell of the amazing promise God had given, which by the way was punishment for a lack of faith, but also loving correction. God understood to offer hope, which it did both to Zechariah and the people. His inability to speak sparked a revival. It sparked an anticipation within the people, a hope in the people of God. They knew something was up, and the miraculous God of their ancestors that they'd read about, that they knew about, was about to do something miraculous in their time, right there in their midst. Here, God shows his love for an individual family as a means of answering their prayers, but he simultaneously offers a word to the people of Israel without saying a word that he's answering theirs. And for what purpose? This is incredibly important, church. This is what you need to hear today. For those of you who may have lacked hope or know someone who does, to, that God keeps his promises. It's to show the people that their hope could be established in him and him alone. To worship their God wasn't in vain. And it didn't have to be empty. It could resound with a faith because their God wasn't, isn't this in this moment and won't be a liar. It is not in his person. Hello? How many of you are grateful that God has never changed and never will? And if God is truth, and Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, then he will never lie to you or to me, to anyone this morning who has lost hope. 
This is such a significant moment in the Advent story. The ministry of Jesus, the entire New Testament church is built upon this this spark right here, this moment. It affirms what they had been promised by God himself for centuries. What was announced to Zechariah about John the Baptist's birth, his son, and the coming of John was the answer to the voice in the wilderness that had been prophesied in Isaiah 40 that they held to, that they knew. He was the Elijah to come. He was the one who was going to be the forerunner. He was going to point and confirm that Jesus was the Messiah, Emmanuel, the prophecy of Isaiah 7, where we started this morning. So these two prophecies that would point to a time that where the entire world, all that had been wronged, but been righted, sins forgiven, and things start to put back as God originally intended them, happen in this moment and are established right here with the birth of John the Baptist and the coming of Jesus. Reading on. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. That virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at this word and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God and will, be con- and will conceive and give birth to a son. And you were to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. <laughs> how, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Now at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town to go to a town in the hill country of Judea. When she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Now, that's a lot of scripture, but let me just unpack kind of what happened for you right here. This entire picture is, starts in horror. I mean, who wouldn't be scared to have this moment if you're Mary, a, a teenager, very young teenager, one who's yet to know a man who is probably around the age of 13, but then have that horror turn to honor which bred hope for not just her, but for all people. What must have been a terrifying situation with terrifying information for Mary is impressively received by a young and innocent girl. She asks natural questions given the severity of the natural consequences that she will face by agreeing to do this in spite spite of what it would mean for her. Now, what is she, what's it going to mean for her? What's she facing? She's facing public disgrace. She's facing public disgrace and disownment from her family and her husband-to-be. 
she'll be cast off. She is facing likely death because of the law penalty for sinning in fornication. She's likely going to be disgraced and killed because of what she's done to her family and to Joseph. And then by, by I mean, lying about it, by going around and telling people, hey, look, I didn't, I didn't sleep with Joseph. I haven't slept with any man. I'm still a young virgin. This is God's baby, which of course was widely accepted. And everyone said, okay, well, that's fine. That makes sense. You see, there was a scandal around the entire entrance of our Savior that, that meant death and potential high risk for Mary and Joseph. All those involved. But following Jesus takes faith in him over fear of circumstances. Let me say that again. Faith in him must exceed our fear of circumstance. Due to her faith, her knowledge of what God had promised, her humility, she accepted. And here's what is beautiful. God honors her acceptance, her agreeing with affirmation. God will always affirm his obedient servants when they agree to join him, if not immediately, in time. You see, hearing the news of Elizabeth, Mary runs to celebrate with her cousin. This woman that she's known her whole life, who exceeds her by you know, decades, but has always been barren. And all she knows of her is that she was one committed to service, that she is going to bring those who, who can have children. She's going to help those women bring children into the world, but she herself was never able to. Upon hearing this word, that she now, ripe in age, is not only not barren any longer, but going to have her own child, Mary runs to Elizabeth not only to celebrate with her, but to worship her God by helping serve the one who has been serving everyone else for years. In turn, Elizabeth affirms what the angel had told Mary through divine prophecy by the filling of the baby with the Holy Spirit. And this is the part that I want to encourage you in as we turn our attention to what God has done in this moment. Why do we light the candle of hope on the first Sunday of Advent? It's not just because prophecies are fulfilled. It's because of this right here. John the Baptist begins living his God-ordained ministry role, what he'll do in life outside the womb before he has even left the womb as a fetus. <laughs> Affirming that Jesus is in fact the Messiah, the answer to God's kept promises and Savior to the world. Church, this morning, you want affirmation that you were formed with intention that you were designed in his image and he knew you before the foundation of the world or before you even entered the womb, here it is. He did this in John and he does this in each of us, you and me alike. Like John, we were each designed by God with a specific role to play in his kingdom as a part of his family and through submission to him, by surrendering to him, by seeking him, searching him, and repenting of our own selfish ways, we gain understanding of his purpose for us and why he intended us in the first place. We get purpose. We gain fulfillment of the reality of, of who God has made us to be and the role we fit in his plan. The truth of God's intention for you and for me. Church, this morning, this is our hope. This is our hope. It, it is... It is the fact that God keeps his promises and they sent a savior to save us. Yes, that is true. But beyond that, 
That's only the beginning. That's the truth. We celebrate today that we've been saved, but more than just that we've been saved and what we've been saved from, that we've been saved for a specific purpose, just like John the Baptist had a specific role to play in the kingdom and began living that before he even left the womb. You and I were designed in the image of God with a specific intention to live out before our fellow man so that that could point attention to him. So the world might have hope as well that he had come and he can save them, lift them from the mire. And this morning, maybe you've lost a little hope. Maybe you've lost a little hope that God designed you in his image with a specific purpose that if you do not play in that role, you do not get to join God in the advancement of his kingdom. And you feel the closeness, the intimacy of being a part of his family. You don't get to be a part of ushering in that presence. I can sense your lack of hope when you don't know this identity, when you don't know God's intention, and when you don't know the purpose or, or role that you play, I can sense a lack of hope. Why? Because you're not living as God intended. And so someone who is his out here without this knowledge, without this purpose, without seeking this is going to feel a little what? Lost. They're going to feel a little out of place. They're going to feel a little like a, I'm a part of the island of misfit toys and I don't understand where I fit until they turn and seek him and he starts to speak into you all that he ever intended before you knew another person. He starts to turn, you, you turn and you start to have the hope flicker that there is a, de a design that was sovereign. There was a plan that he had for me and I am not a mistake that I was brought forth with purpose and I get to play a specific role. And when you allow the God who designed you in his image to start to speak those things into your life, not only do you feel a sense of hope and purpose, but you start to feel fulfilled and sustained and you start to offer those around you a hope because you cannot contain it. The very spirit in, that resides within any child of God, anyone who is his, will not only affirm the things that God says of you by the scriptures and in prayer, but it'll start to flow out of you. You'll start to bear fruit of that spirit and others will start to gain hope as well. God's ordained purpose for each of us, for you, for me, for collectively us as his church, as his children, is to be the hope to a world that right now needs hope. Because we have hope in the one who made us in his image, saved us for this purpose, saved us from a life of hurt to give us a future of hope. Amen? One, full of life, and life abundant, not selling us short. One where we experience the fullness of God, and that is displayed in and through us to everyone we come into contact with. So this morning, this Christmas, church, we're going to celebrate the story of how God kept his promises to the world, but how he kept his promises to you and to me, to us and how he made us a family and how he had to come himself to do it. He couldn't count on someone else to do it for us. He had to come himself and he did. This morning, church, you and I can have hope. In church, this morning, we can be the hope. How many of you know someone right now during this season who's endured the year that you just have needs some hope? Anyone? No one? 
Yeah. As we prepare to leave these walls and go back into our world with our friends, our family, our, our, our coworkers, our neighbors, church, my challenge to you is to be the hope that God designed you to be because you have a hope and he loved you enough to come for you, to save you, and to give you purpose. But that is found only through submitting to his Holy Spirit by seeking him, turning, and finding, again, that divine purpose as he speaks over you every single day. You don't have to wait till tomorrow to do that. You don't have to wait till you leave these walls to do that. You don't have to wait till you turn off this simulcast to do that. You can do that right now in this room. You can practice right now in your living room by submitting to a spirit, turning, and going, God, I have had a little hope Lost. I have had the flicker of hope, which this candle represents, go out in my life. And this morning, I read these words. I read this text. And for some reason, I've read it a lot before. It seems to be real. And it's coming off the page. And I believe it's the story that not only are you telling, but, but you have for me. This morning, church, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to just answer this question. If this morning you've lost a little hope, we just raise your hand? Or if you know someone who has lost a little hope, we just raise your hand because you're going to be praying for them in a moment. Hands up. Can I encourage you? God is not done with you, with them. He's not finished. He is moving. He's on the move and he's speaking right now to your heart about the things that he wants to revive in you or in them. So Father, this morning, we turn our attention to you. We turn our eyes to Jesus and we open our ears and our hearts and minds to allow the one who is our hope to speak hope and purpose and intention into us that we, your church, might feel revived, might have that spark of hope, might have that flame rekindled so that we can go be that hope in the lives of those that you've entrusted to us. So Father, I pray by your spirit you would minister to us heart and mind right now, your church. Father, I pray that you would turn our attention and our eyes to you, that you be lifted up. And Jesus, I pray that you would have your way with your church right now and you find a church obedient to do whatever you ask them as our Savior and our Lord. We love you. It's in your name we ask. Amen.